Hey, girl. Hey, girl. You guys, hey, it's Patrick and Jillian. Hi, girl. (laughs) What happened? Are you new here? Usually I say if you're new to the pod, are you new? Hi, it's me. I know we haven't seen each other physically in a long time. It's me, your old friend. Hi, I love you and I miss you. I'm saying back at you. So, you guys, this week we are sharing our coverage of the excellent documentary Unseen. Yeah, and we're jumping in here at the top to let you know, trigger warning, content warning, um, this deals with a serial killer who targeted black women and the horrible treatment of the case and these women involved. This episode was recorded well over a month ago. Yeah, long before the murder of George Floyd and the protests that have happened since then. So we don't reference either of those things in the episode simply because they hadn't happened. Jillian and I both want to reiterate Black Lives Matter. We are here with you. We love you. We spent the last several weeks, you know, learning and uh, trying to be better allies. And we we just wanted to let you know, True Crime Obsessed has donated over $10,000 to various charities in the last week. This is an ongoing commitment that we're making um, and we're going to keep doing this. We are including a link in the show notes to some of the organizations that we've donated to and others that you should know about. Yeah, our, our whole thing is we see a link, do some research, give it a gook, make sure it's on the up and up. Yeah. And then we donate. If that's something you want to do, we have a link for you for organizations or donations that jump out to you. Do your thing. The last thing I want to say before we get into this, you guys, we have spent the last couple of days going through our catalog and we know that we have woefully underrepresented the black community in the coverage of the documentaries that we've done. We are going to fix that. We are going to do better. That is part of our commitment to elevating black voices on our platform. Yeah. I mean, that's that's our pledge to you. We're looking into it. We're working on it. And um, it's something we want to do. It's our responsibility to do it. And guess what? That's what we're going to do. The trailer for Unseen is mostly on-screen text, so we can't really play it. So we are just going to jump right into our coverage of the excellent documentary Unseen. Oh, girl, what are we talking about today? We're talking about Unseen. I I avoided this documentary for two years. I knew that I was going to be really affected by it. And so I I put it off and put it off and people recommended it all the time. And I was like, nope, it's too much. Mm -hmm. It's too much. I've watched it twice for this, as I always do. And I Mm got to tell you, it is phenomenal. This documentary is phenomenal phenomenal it's so it's hard to watch the stories crazy but it is handled with such care and they do that thing where they they manage to make this documentary about three things at once it's about a serial killer but it's also about poverty and it's also about drug addiction and it's also about how people tend to not care about addicts sex workers and women of color people of color and when they're all three they really don't give a shit, but we do. So let's tell this goddamn story. So okay, get us started, girl. I need you to hold my hand through this. Look, I look. We talk about this all the time. It's like I, I hate the animal stuff, but I, you know, sexual assault is another gigantic trigger for me. I have, I'm a survivor of it, um, and so this was tough for me. There were times at the end, especially, and it's, it's, it was empowering, but emotional. We'll get there. But here we go. Let's hold each other's hands, shall we? Through yeah. the FaceTime, you, you see me? There's my hand. Yes. Hold it. Yes, oh, girl. Oh, that actually feels like. <laughs> Nice and sad. <laughs> so we meet we meet so many of these women. The first woman we we meet is Melvet Sockwell. Yeah. And she is talking about, you know, she's being very honest. She's like, girl, sex work is the oldest profession there is. That's right. And she really like goes in on it and she's like, look, do you? I'm not ca- I'm not like passing any judgment whatsoever. But then she says something that I think we should all agree on, right? Sure. My fingers in your face. <laughs> she goes, but once people start like raping and beating the sex workers, bye. Right. <laughs> 
Essentially. Yes. Basically is what she says. I'm not going to lie. Yes, I have prostituted. Prostitution has been since Jesus walked. I'm not saying it's right and I'm not saying it's wrong. It's a moral judgment on each individual. Now, when you start taking people against their will, raping them, beating them, robbing them, then I say to hell with you. She is incredible. I mean, I got to also say that, like, all of these women that are willing, anybody who's a survivor of anything, but especially sexual assault or rape, being willing to sit down and tell your story for the greater good makes you a hero on a level I can't even comprehend. So all of these women are amazing. And we learned that in 1989, Melvette was raped at knife point in the home of a man she did not know. And she's like, it's not like, you know, she didn't know him, know him, but she'd seen him around. Yeah. And she says this thing that, that we hear a lot in the remainder of this. Had I ever had a conversation with the man previously? No. Had I ever seen him? Yes. But I sensed nothing. I sensed nothing. I sensed nothing. There was no bad vibe from this guy. Then then she's like, so before he put the gag in my mouth, I could have screamed. And I literally, I stood up and I knew. Yeah. I knew like you, like inherently this was going to be tough. But like seeing this so soon, I was like, yeah, okay. But after he had Miss Way with me the first time, say he never took the gag off anymore. That day went by and turned into another day. He said, you might as well say your prayers because I'm going to feed you. Then I'm going to kill you. And then he went to sleep. And I'm like, can we pause for a second? (laughs) The confidence that must take. Yes, yes. Like, you don't think that's going to motivate the shit out of her to get the hell out of there? Yeah. For him to be like, I'm going to kill you. (sighs) Right. right. (laughs) And then go to sleep? Because I'm like, that. That's going to motivate her to get the hell out of here. Guess what? Not spoiler, not spoiler. That's what she did. Yeah. She managed to get out onto the roof and flag down a neighbor and the neighbor called the police. This hero woman, she gets this asshole put behind bars for 15 fucking years. We'll come back to that in a minute. Like this is in the beginning. This is before that really the action of this movie where he becomes a serial killer. So he gets convicted of this rape, sent away for 15 years, and he was released in 2005 and moved to 12 to Imperial Avenue in Cleveland. And I gotta say, girl, like, we see the house, you know, like, we got, like, a lot of shots on the house, and I just went... Oh, that house looks evil. Girl, I have in my notes, the slow zoom on this hell house plus the music is legit the stuff of nightmares. So we get a lot of on-screen text right in the beginning. We do. I was like, oh, I know who's going to hate this. On top of a zillion other things. I gave it its own color, though. I gave it its purple. All the on-screen text is purple so that I know it's on-screen text. So we learn, we start at the end, we learn that on October 29th, 2009, get ready, guys, four decomposing bodies were found on the third floor of this house. Oh, but we're not done. So get ready. Not even close. Another two bodies were found in the basement and five more bodies were found buried in the backyard again pause here's a question yeah because i've got a question too how his backyard (laughs) is wide open the house next door is basically on top of his there's no space there's no privacy how and when and look i love the burbs i know we've talked about this in the facebook group a lot after my tom hanks story (laughs) thank you guys for listening but 
you can't bury five. I mean, you could, but people, this is the thing. It's people don't give a shit at the time. People are just like looking the other way. Yeah, I, I had the same question. These houses are on top of each other. And we we hear woman, like victim after victim after victim is like, he said, don't scream. So I screamed. Like how many times do you have to hear screams coming from the next door neighbor's house before you call the goddamn cops? Right. I screamed and, jump out, and jumped out the window. We hear that over and over again. And it's like these women, God, can, here's, a, here's a question before we get really started. And I'm sure it'll come up again. Why is it so hard for people to give a shit about other people? Right. No, that's a great question. Like the trend of this, the theme of this documentary seems like it's really hard for people to care. Like addicts don't want to be addicts. That is something that was hit so home to me with this. That yes. Like, but also when you said, why is it so hard for people to care about other people? I was like, girl, I just watched a documentary about that. I'm not talking about you. Not everything's about you, girl. Not everything's about no, you, girl. But I was like, it's this documentary. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, that's what you meant. Sorry. I totally missed. Sorry, that was me. No, came the, the burn came right back on me. Sorry about that. I will take it. So I have like three slashes before and after the on-screen text. Oh, yeah, yeah, I don't yeah, do yeah. the colors. I just have like... So they it says, for three years, women in the Mount Pleasant neighborhood had been disappearing. But until the bodies were found, the 11 victims' disappearances were not investigated by the police. You guys, these are sex workers, they're addicts, and they're people of color. So no one gave a shit. And we're going to hear from their family members who like say they go to the cops and they're like, uh, guys, my, my mother is missing. And the cop's response is, uh, she's over 18 years old. It's her right to go missing if she wants to we have to dive in to the deepest end of the pool on that when it yeah. comes up my god i know so it's october 31st 2009 it took me until happy the, halloween i was just gonna say it took me to the second viewing of this to realize this is fucking halloween how goddamn ghoulish is this because we see a man who we are to assume is the murderer of these 11 women sitting in an interrogation room in the Cleveland Homicide Unit. Because we're seeing it from like th- that camera in the corner that's yeah, like yeah, the yeah. security camera. And I'm like, that we know all too well, girl. We know that camera <laughs> all too well. Well, his, his name is Anthony Sawell. Yeah. This asshole, this murderer, this piece of shit. Just a monster. Rapist just murderer. Monster. Just a fucking yeah, monster. Yeah. He's sitting in the Cleveland Homicide Unit office. This bitch looks bored. Uh, girl, guess what we get here? What? A more on-screen text, girl. Oh, Oh, good, good, so good, good. We learned, and this is no disrespect to the filmmaker. I know you had no choice. You had to just, we got to get the story. Look, they didn't make it for us, girl. They didn't know that we'd be covering it. They made it for a much better reason, yes. which is awareness about. About this, true, true, true. I mean, come on. So the text says, even after discovering the bodies, the police were unable to identify the remains. So Saulwell admitted only to having quote bad dreams about the murders, but promised to help the police identify the victims. So this documentary is sort of split up into sections, yeah. And the sections are also on screen text, no shade, yeah. And so this one is called. Remember, it made me think of in just like wow, Toto, we're not in Kansas anymore. Remember in the Tammy Faye Baker one, the RuPaul documentary. (laughs) where it was broken up into sections but it was like the Muppets it was like a sock puppet Tammy Faye's eyeliner and they were like singing in that weird voice you guys we are not in Kansas anymore, Toto. Narrated by RuPaul Charles. This is not the same thing. No. So this this section is called, quote, I didn't want to be one of those people. And we meet, you guys, we meet this woman. Her name is Vanessa Gay. And I'm from the second I saw her, I was like, fuck, I love this woman. Love, love, love. So Vanessa's there. She's just this really, like, she emanates this sort of, like, confidence. And you can also tell she's got, like, an amazing sense of humor. And she tells us a little bit of her backstory. Yeah, I was an overachiever. I was an A student. Um, I had a best friend, and we would always compete in school. I loved going to school. I loved learning. I was the president of the National Junior Honor Society as I got older. 
I was going to be a cosmetologist, a cosmetologist or a welder. <laughs> a welder. I was going to be a cosmetologist or a welder. Yeah, a cosmetologist or a welder. And I'm like, girl, we're back to welding. Just for, maybe this documentary was made for you. We're back to welding. I know. And here's the thing. The document, the, the filmmaker is just like, girl, a welder? And she's like, yeah, totally. <laughs> you guys, Jillian just mimed taking her headphones off as the filmmaker. <laughs> Girl, I didn't even know that I did that. Isn't that crazy? I didn't even know that. That was amazing. But in my notes, I say, we're back to welding. Are you happy, Patrick? (laughs) (laughs) Not like you love welding. You just love love the musicals and the movies about welding, like Tommy. Like Tommy and Flashdance. In the Tread episode, we were talking about welding. You go, don't mind her. She just loves musicals. So the thing is, the thing is, uh, to bring it down, Vanessa, she tells us that her parents got divorced when she was like either three or five. She just remembers like being in court with her mother. But more than that, she remembers like sitting in the window of their house and like waiting for her dad to come and, and pick her up because the dad promised he would come and visit. He would always promise me he was going to come and get me or come and see me. So I would sit in the window and wait for my father who would never show up. Would never. That's how I learned about prostitution. <laughs> I would sit in the window on 93rd and Cedar and, and watch the women of the night or the day, because they were on the day with boas and little hot pans. I didn't know what that was, but sitting in that window waiting for my daddy. I mean, you know, as a dad, that story just fucking breaks my heart. Um, But then we meet, so we're going to meet a lot of people in this documentary. The next woman we meet is LaTondra Lala Billups. I love Lala. I love all of them. Spoiler, we love them all. We're going to obsess about all of them. Right, and she's here to tell us about crack because, like, as I mentioned at the top, this is about a lot of things. It's about the serial killer and, and addiction, and she's saying that, like, what I heard about crack in the early 90s was that it was addictive. People would do some of everything to get it, rob and steal, turn people into bums. I know I didn't want to be one of those people. She's the quote that this section is named after. I never wanted to be one of those people. That's Lala. And she's like, look, you do lie, cheat, steal, what? Ever. And she's like, I didn't I didn't want that for my life. But then we start to see photos of her teenage years. And she's like, she's like, look, I was a normal teenager. All I wanted to do was like go to parties and like be with my friends and rebel against my parents. And like, that's what I did. And then she's like, now as a mom. Right. <laughs> uh, my mom was right. She's like, I totally get it. I totally get it now. I'm like, la la, that's always the way. I don't know what I'm going to do because I had literally zero rebellious streak in me as a teenager. I like loved my mom and we had a great relationship and I just was a good kid so like when Daisy is a teenager and she wants to rebel I'm not going to be able to relate to that in any way and neither is Steve here I am raising my hand girl call me (laughs) so so Lala tells us like about the first time that she tried crack and she said she was with a neighbor who was a friend and they were like doing marijuana and alcohol they were just hanging out and then oh you're such a dad they were doing marijuana and alcohol That's that's what you do. You smoke the grass, right? Oh, okay. (laughs) She used crack cocaine and I asked to try it. And I tried it and I was high. It was a rush um, that um, I can't really describe. It was a rush to come over your body and then it goes away very quick. So you have this high sensation for five minutes, and then it's gone. 
So she goes, it went from, you know, I was doing crack cocaine like once a week and then a few times a week. And at first I had, she had someone supplying it to her and then she had to buy it for herself. And then when she couldn't afford it, she says, you know, I had to find other ways to, to get the drugs that she wanted. Yeah. In about the year 2007, when I moved on Imperial Avenue, other people in the neighborhood did drugs. People were kind of... They were a little more generous at that time because I was the new person on the street. And that's where, like, the hell house is. Like, she moves to the neighborhood. So we'll right. come back to her. But first, we've got to meet this fucking guy, Asad Taya. I'm thinking it's how you say his name. He's He is the guy. He's, like, the bodega owner. He owns a, a store across the street from the murder house called Imperial Beverage. And at first... We don't know he's garbage, but we'll get there in just a minute. So so he's here, and I'm, at first I'm like, so the bodega guy is here. That's right. interesting. <laughs> but the point is, is that Anthony Sowell's house was right across the street from Imperial <laughs> Beverage, like the bodega, the liquor store. The bodega guy is here. Anthony Sowell used to buy his cigarette from me, juice, ice creams. He used to buy some of the ice creams. He was very well-spoken, very respectful. My feeling was of him is a good feeling. I look at him. Uh, top of high class guy. Uh. We're hearing this again. Like he was a high class guy and he was very nice. And then he's like, everything was great for like three years, but then it all changed. He was acting differently. He dressed differently. And Assad's like, you know, he was on crack cocaine. I saw him twice, three times buying the crack. One time I saw him and he saw me, my eyes to his eyes. And he got very embarrassed when I, when I saw him buying it. He knows, he he know, uh, uh, I know he's smoking that crack. I think the bottom line about this bodega guy is that he has an a, an inflated sense of self-importance to the story. And he also, in, in a weird way, is kind of in, the, in a central location. Like, he right. was, I keep begging you to watch The Wire, you won't, but right. as we know from The Wire. <laughs> Excuse me, do you know that when you beg me to watch The Wire, it goes like this? You really need to watch The Wire, but don't, you won't get it. You don't have time or the attention span. Every single time. Is that what you hear? Yeah. Because what I say is... <laughs> Now, now we're going to do this. Welcome to the outtakes. Now we're going to go. Okay, you started it. Am I on your list? I try not to be on your list. You're not on my list, but what I say is I want the listeners to know you can't just say shit like that and misquote me and then have me just like deal with it. What I say is, but you got to put down your phone. Fo- you got to pay attention and watch it. So watch it when you're ready and then get back to me. I will say that's that smacks of familiarity. I will say that. Girl. <laughs> but the thing is, as and I learned, I, I have no, I mean, I'm going to be very honest with you. I have I have no experience living in a neighborhood like this. I have to own own my privilege and my background in this yeah. moment. But, you know, like the corner is a place where the drug dealers are and the drug addicts convene to do their business. So what Assad is in this moment, he is sort of like someone who was there at the epicenter of when all of this was going down. And he knew all the players. He knew Anthony. He knew Lala. He's a dick and we'll get to like why in a minute. But like he is, it's good that they got him because he does have information that I'm glad that we know. Right. So now we're back to the homicide unit and it's back to 2009 when Anthony Sowell is like in the homicide unit with the cops. In the interrogation room. They walk in, the first thing they do is sanitize their hands and open a bag of chips. They come in like (laughs) after getting snacks. And again, this is the oldest trick in the book. They have snacks, they have the drinks, they're not offering them anything. You know what I mean? (laughs) So they come in and they sanitize because I had to rewind this. They like throw the hand sanitizer back and forth. And in this moment, I'm like, no, 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 that's precious cargo. Right. (laughs) 
But so they're like eating snacks and they're trying to get him to react to something. Well, and so remember like the dreams he was saying that like he like Ugh. he did, he's not admitting to the murders, but he does have dreams about them. So they're, they're starting to ask him about the dreams. You think about the dreams now? Uh, you trying to think about it? Because they're trying to they're trying to get him to help identify the victims, which is why he's here. I mean, he will he's going to be arrested. He, he's going to be tried for all these murders. Like that's right. fine. But the reason he's sitting in their office is they don't need to interrogate him. They know what he did. He, they just need his help trying to identify these victims. Right. And then it fades out. But we're back to our friend Vanessa, who I love so much. And really, she's just here to tell us more sad stories about her addiction. And the the reason I, one of the reasons I think this documentary is so good is because they really go in on the addiction and to explain why you would go to the house of this random person you don't know. And, and really, in this section, she's telling us this really sad story about like, she was really fucked up and she came home one day with like a pocket full of drugs and her entire extended family family was on the front porch and everyone was giving her shit. It was like an intervention. And I'm catching it from everybody. My mom, my cousin, my four children, my neighbor, my son's friends, everybody was just on the porch. And I decide that I'm not gonna stand here and take it. And I walk off and my 10 year old daughter follows me. Her 10 year old daughter is like chasing her down the street just like trying to get her to come home. Like her 10 year old kid wants her mother to come home. And Vanessa says like I couldn't choose my kid over the drugs. I couldn't I couldn't choose my child over the dope. We fought and argued. She laid in the middle of the street on Broadway just to get her mama to come home and I couldn't choose my child over dope. And she's like as wrecked about it as I am. And you know what? She was wrecked about it at the time. You know yeah. what I mean? Like you can feel it in her. She was like, she felt in the moment she didn't have a choice. And, and then really when you're addicted, you don't, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, she's just here to tell you guys the only reason they're here to tell us this is so that they can help people. Like, that's the only reason these people tell these stories. And they're trying to get us to understand, like, can you give a shit about addicts? Yeah, like, yes. Can you please care? Because this is hard on everybody. You know, it just sucks. But suddenly we're seeing grainy footage of what I have in my notes. I'm almost positive as a naked man <laughs> walking in the alleyway between two houses. My favorite, my favorite Jillian of them all, and there are so many. You're you you are a coloring book of of of, of characters. Oh, I, I go from A to Z. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> my favorite is like 50s upspeak questioning Jillian. Mm-hmm. It's I, what I'm fairly certain is a naked man walking in the alleyway between two houses, just like that. Yeah. Do I look like just that. like Marilyn? Yeah, and what we find out is that a woman, more on-screen text, because we love the on-screen text, this woman has fallen out of the second story of Anthony Sowell's, like, hell house. And we also learn in the on-screen text that he had brought her to her to the house with the promise of crack cocaine. And this woman is named Sean Morris. We meet yeah. her. She tells us this story. And let me tell you, before we get into it, Sean Morris doesn't have any time for my shit, your shit, anyone else's. Right. Everyone be on your best behavior. Sean Morris has entered the chat. Stop it. Put your shit away. Sit up straight, everybody. Put your shoulders back. Sean Morris is here for none of it. Girl, are you gonna ask the people to pull over? That's my other favorite thing that you do. Usually I would, but I'm gonna I'm gonna let Sean do it. I went up the first part of the steps, and that's when he came behind me. 
and put me in a chokehold and told me that if I screamed, fought, or tried to get away, that it would kill me. The way she is telling this story is so she takes these pauses and you can tell that she there's a lot of strength and um, awareness with how how she tells her story. And I'm just I'm 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 in I'm in awe of of her and all these women, basically. So what Sean tells us is that Anthony Sowell put her in a chokehold and told her that if she screamed or tried to get away, he'd kill her. And she goes, and that's when I scream. And I just have, yes, Sean. I screamed. And that's when he jumped up and started closing the windows. And the thing is, this bitch, Anthony, was not expecting that because he jumped up and jumped away from her and starts closing the windows. Like this idiot, this piece of shit Anthony doesn't think to start with closing the window that's right in front of the the potential victim here. Yeah. Yeah. He start he goes like the farthest one like again not good at this. Yeah. Um so Sean's like all right, I'm standing in front of an open window and she goes, "God girl, right. you up there?" <laughs> Cuz I need something from you right now. Are you there, God? Are you there, God? It's me, Sean. She goes, right. "I really need you to help me out here." Yeah. Cuz I'm going to jump out the second story window to get out of this nightmare and right. I'd love it if I could survive it. And she goes, "Okay." <laughs> I'm laughing from trauma. I'm not laughing because the situation is funny. So in my head, it's like she's like ready on the count of three. And then she goes, no, no, no. Like I'm going to jump after three, not on three. So it's like one, two, three, jump, not one, two, jump. It's like one, two, three, jump. Okay. Like she's having this conversation because she's like, God, girl, you got me right. And that like in their mind, they're having this. Is it one, two, three, jump or is it one, two, jump? Like, what is it? And Sean's like, no, girl, like one, two, three, jump. And then you got me right. Yeah. Sean jumps and God has her yeah and the thing is remember how we were saying there's no real privacy in this neighborhood yeah great because (laughs) someone drives by and is like what the what and calls the cops this person is frantic and also me being like stop asking me questions And he goes, stop asking me questions. Just get there. And the 911 call ends up trailing off because I feel like it doesn't end that great. But he's like, why are you? I don't know anything about anything. All I, t- I told you what I knew. There are two naked people and it, feel, it feels like bad shit's going on. Yeah. And just get there. Stop asking me questions. Yeah. Just go. So we get on screen text that says that Sean was taken to a hospital in an ambulance. She doesn't remember that. She wakes up in the bed in the hospital. And I woke up. I asked the nurse for the telephone because I needed to call my husband. She told me your husband rode with you in the ambulance. And I told her that was not my husband. And you and me and Sean at the same time look at the fucking camera and go, ah! No, bitch. I know. <laughs> Because, like, the serial killer is in the waiting room of the hospital waiting for her to come out. Right. And then we get on-screen text that says, Sean did not press charges. And you have to, if you are groaning and you're like, why? You have to understand why. Sean was an addict. She was a sex worker. She was a woman of color. And what we hear later from a lot of people, she probably assumed no one would believe her anyway. She got away. She lived to see another day. She did not press charges. Yeah. Girl, are you ready to meet Tressa Garrison, Anthony's sister? Half-sister. I'm super ready. (laughs) 
Look, the very first thing Anthony's half-sister, excuse me, says to us is, Anthony was a main child. And I'm like, yeah, no shit. And I love that Tressa's here. Like, this is no shade to Tressa. And yeah. I, I love that. And again, it's like, how often do we see family members saying, like, this person was a piece of shit, and I'm here to tell you. Yeah, and she tells us how. Like, she says that, like, look, all siblings fight. The fighting, you know, let's say you and I were brother and sister. I would never come at you in a way that I would do a stranger. Whereas Anthony, he would come at me like I was a stranger. Like, I have nephews that are, like, a year apart, and they fight all the time. But they fight Mm -hmm. like brothers. They don't fight like strangers. And, like, Mm -hmm. I really felt that difference. As an only child who has limited experience with children, I still understood what she meant. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it's like there's, like, roughhousing and wrestling, and then there's, like, coming for you like, like you're... Like, you're not who you are. Right. Like, you're not Tressa. You know what I mean? Yep. Well, so so Tressa just basically says, like, look, you know, he, Anthony would say that he thought that mom didn't love him. Before everything hit the fan, he had said a couple of things to me saying that he didn't think mommy loved him. And I'm looking at him like he crazy. Like, are you serious? I think it was the other way around. I don't think that he loved my mother the way he should. And when he showed the lack of compassion. She just kind of let him do his own thing. What I heard was, because I was I was waiting for someone to say, oh my God, why does this person hate women so much? He uh-huh. hates women so much. And Tressa's like, I don't know why, girl, but like, I felt very seen. I felt like Tressa was like, gee, I don't know why, but he hates women. And I'm here to tell you. So, girl, we're back to the bodega owner, the guy who, like, owns the store in the corner. And, you know, we get this whole thing where he's, like, he's got his eye on everyone in the neighborhood. And he's, like, talking about Lala and her kids and how her kids would be begging in the street and he would call the cops on them all the time. Well, then I have in my notes, then, comma, this gets fucking insane. Yeah. (laughs) I kind of couldn't believe what I was hearing. Assad is sitting there. The bodega owner. The bodega owner. And he's like, I know you're trying to talk to me about Anthony Salwell. And I'm like, yes, girl. Yes, we are. And he basically says, you know what? I got something to say. I know you tried to interview about Anthony Sowell. And you know what? I hate to say that. But, you know, uh, I want to say that, you know. and I'm not ashamed of it. I wish we have about... A million of Anthony Sowell. I'm speaking the truth over here. Okay? And I am in front one, two, three, four cameras. He goes, I'm saying this in front of all these cameras. Quote me on this. And you hear the filmmaker say, What do you mean by that? Why do you want a million more of him? And he goes, you guys, I know. gird your loins, hold yeah. on to your hats, <laughs> hold on to your butts, whatever you got. Yeah. yeah. Assad says, He clean up the garbage. He clean up those garbage. Who's the garbage? The one, the one he killed. Those garbage. This person signed up for this documentary and really, truly believes that Anthony Sawell was doing like his good deed for the day. Yeah. By quote cleaning up. 
the garbage. I can't. I hate him. I hate him. I hate him. I hate him. I mean, and then it's like now, now I realize why the goddamn bodega guy is here because right. the film wants us to see the fucking problem. He is yeah. part of the problem. These people who are just like he took out the trash. No, these right. are real people who don't want to be addicts. They got right. into a bad situation based on wherever, whatever. But for yeah. him to be like, you know, you have the lights on me, the mics are on, and it's like, oh my god. So now we're back to the to the store owner again, and he is totally garbage, but he tells us some like really insane stuff. He says he's got this guy that works for him that one day like comes into the store and he's like, boss, the dumpster like really stinks. And I went there and I saw like three, four garbage bags with duct tape this round and I left it. The smell was unbelievable. Incredible. Guys, that's a glaring red flag. If you ever go to a fucking dumpster and you find a, a garbage bag wrapped in duct tape, like, think about this. Think about Don't F with Cats. Like, that is some serious fucking shit. Right. So he's like, the smell was unbelievable. But what he did was he calls his neighbor and with all the warmth and grace he can muster, <laughs> he calls her, boop, 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 boop. And uh, then I call up the lady upstairs. I told her, is your dog uh, still alive? Is your dog still alive? <laughs> And she's like, yeah, my dog's fine, dick. Shut up. Probably. Probably that's the exact quote, right? And so Assad, in his infinite wisdom, tells Jeff to pour bleach all over the dumpster to get the the smell to go away. Not to call the cops. I mean, clearly he knows something is up. Anyway, that didn't work other than probably get all the DNA off of it. Just saying. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah, that. And then and then we learned that there's this sausage factory called Ray's Sausage, which is like right across the street from the bodega, which means it's like like shares the block with the murder house. And all of a sudden everyone's blaming it on the sausage factory. And even the bodega guy's like, no, 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 girl. Like they kept that shit really clean. It wasn't them. But the city of Cleveland comes in and anyway finds them thousands of dollars. Well, the smell didn't go away. And what's actually super fucking heartbreaking is that when we see the ex exterior of this sausage factory it's closed and also like cops aside like couldn't the health inspector be like this is what like nobody cared about the smell so like it's heartbreaking to me that maybe all those thousands of dollars of modifications put them out of business when if anyone just opened their goddamn eyes and actually again cared about other people maybe we wouldn't be here yeah but we also learn that the bodega guy or somebody tells us like you guys that when i really think back on it the neighborhood stank for years. The whole neighborhood used to smell very bad. I mean, the whole area. And also, like, did did he not ever say, oh, also, did anyone ever look at the bag in the dumpster? Right. Like, whatever <laughs> happened to the bag in the dumpster is my right. question. Like, maybe Assad could be like, maybe it's the sausage factory. But also, if you can compare right. smells <laughs> from the bag in the dumpster to the sausage factory, like, Assad, get your shit together. I, I know. hate you. So, like, now we're being, you know, like, the next 20 minutes of this is us being flooded with these, like, monstrous stories of things that happened to these women. Right. Right. And so we meet Gladys Wade and she tells this horrible story that she was, you know, Gladys was attacked by Anthony in early 2009. She runs bleeding into this pizza place. I asked him, can they call the police? Because the man just tried to kill me. They said they don't want nothing to do with it. I had to leave because I was bleeding on their floor. I don't know what they believe. I don't know. I don't know what they felt. I know they was out there laughing. 
And basically what she's trying to say is like, I'm an addict. They're not going to believe me. She tried. They told her she was just getting the whole place dirty. She's the one who says that the most blatantly. They don't listen to women that are on drugs. They don't listen to them. They're nothing. So Gladys did bring her accusation to the police. And they didn't believe her. Like, she was totally fucking right. The prosecutor yep. completely dismisses it with because there's insufficient evidence. And she's like, Gladys goes, turns out it was his word against mine. And as she's saying this, we see the police photos of her injuries around her neck and the bruises. And it's horrible. Horrifying. But it also lines up with everything every other woman tells us. They, he wrapped a cord around my neck. I had cuts and marks and burns around my neck, my arm, my back. Right. So I'm so I'm like, oh, so it's the word of a sex offender, a convicted sex offender. You guys remember, he served 15 years for being a sex offender. Yeah, yeah. So it's the word of a sex offender who just got out of prison for raping and attacking women versus the woman he raped and attacked. Right. The woman with right. the injuries. Yeah, exactly. Is that what you're telling me? Because I just want to make sure, because pass the goddamn vodka. Jesus. Right. And then we remember Lala, the one that we love. I mean, you know, one of the many women in this story that we love. We get her story now. And, you know, basically, she basically, he invited her home to drink beer with him. When she's not looking, he punched punches her in the Ugh. face and and when she's telling her story we're getting the jury video the jury was brought to his apartment to see to see where all of these crimes happened it is you know i mean not to belabor the point it is everything you would imagine it's filthy it's run down the windows are broken the the walls are coming down i mean there's like vermin it's disgusting yeah. and she tells the story of like you know, being punched in the face by him, a cord wrapped around her neck, and she's lying on a blanket, and she opened her eyes hours later and sits up and sees him face to face, and she says his eyes bulged because he couldn't believe I was alive. And this is amazing. He was not expecting her to wake up. Right. So he's like, all right. And again, stupidly tells her the plan. He said he was going to kill me and himself because he knew he was going to jail. I told him, you're not going to jail. I said, but I ain't never coming over here no more. Again, thinking right on her feet. She's like, I'm not calling the cops, but I'm never coming over here again. I'm just going to go. It's going to be fine. He starts apologizing. I've been through a lot. And my notes are like, oh, men, right. you've been through a lot. Right. As he was talking and everything, I was still getting dressed. We left. We walked down the steps. And he stood in the door while I walked down the driveway. I looked back a couple of times to see was he still there. Soon as I hit the corner, I took off running. And the minute she turns the corner, she books it. She takes yeah. off running. So you guys, we're back to the beginning of the movie because on October 29th, 2009, the police go to his house to arrest him for the rape of Lala. Mm -hmm. And then the on-screen text just says, Solwell wasn't home, but the police did find two decomposing bodies on the second floor. And I just went, oh my God. And I'm like, wait, so the neighborhood just smelled of death for two months and like weeks on end? Yeah. Like no one did a fucking thing about it? Like how long was like, What? I know. And so they find the bodies in the house. We see all this insane news coverage and we see there's a manhunt for this guy. To some extent, the investigation here is just beginning. Police are going to go through this house inch by inch. trying Police to Police discovered six decomposed and dismembered bodies inside this home. There's so far no identities on any of the victims, but we do know that 10 bodies are those of African-American women. What happened in this house behind me is simply a nightmare. And there are a lot of deeply disturbing questions for authorities here. 
He's not home. They don't know where he is. His sister's back to tell us, girl, he was a block away having a conversation with me on the street in public. The police were like driving past us and we're just chit-chatting on the sidewalk. He said everything that they say is true. He said, I don't know why I did it. I spazzed out. I'm just all fucked up in the head. That's exactly what he said. He said, I love you. He said, I'm going to call you later. He said, but I got to go because the police is looking for me. And he walked off. And she's like, look, I, I, I mean, I'm his, I'm his half sister, but God, I mean, she's a realist here. Like, she is not one of those family apologists. She's like, holy shit, dude. Yeah, and again, there's a manhunt for this guy. They find him in like an abandoned house in his neighborhood. They bring him in, and and that's kind of it. His his trial begins on June 27th, 2011, and we learn that he's charged with 85 counts of murder, kidnapping, and rape. But the thing is. Only one witness was able to directly tie him to the bodies. You guys, I did not see this coming because we've learned all of our all of our narrators, all of these women. We've we've heard all of their stories about their connection to this guy, except for one. It's our best friend. The first one we met, Vanessa Gay. She's back. Yeah, it pops to Vanessa and I screamed. Do you solemnly swear that the testimony you're about to give shall be the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth shall be God? My name is Vanessa Gay. That's V-A-N-E-S-S-A-G-A-Y. Thank you. All right, Mr. Bombeck, you may proceed. Good afternoon, Ms. Gay. How are you? Here. So we're going to hear her story now. Right. So we go back and forth from seeing her tell us this in the documentary present day and her on the stand. Yeah. And I'm going to give another trigger warning. This actually made me uncontrollably sob. So she ends up meeting Anthony and they meet each other. He's on a bike. He's like, oh, no one wishes me a happy birthday. Just a typical man wanting attention. Men are the worst. I was standing at the bank and this man walked past with a bike on a cell phone. He stayed in range so that he could say, it's my birthday and nobody's celebrating my birthday. I told him, I don't celebrate birthdays, but happy birthday. I don't celebrate birthdays, but I said happy birthday. And she was like, fine, bitch, you got the attention you wanted. Like, she says as much, which I love. And remember, back at this point in her life, she's an addict. She's a sex worker. And at first she's like, I'm not sure if I should go with him or wait for another date. I'm thinking, do I stay out here and wait for something else? Or do I go with him? People saying hi to him as we walk in. Nothing to indicate or, you know, that the whole night was going to be terrible. Once again, he's known in the neighborhood, not getting a bad vibe. And she goes, there's nothing to indicate uh, that the whole night was going to be terrible. And I just have Vanessa, I love you. When we got to his house, we step in. And you can feel an eerie, just the eerie, you know, feeling. And uh, then the closer you got up the stairs, you smelt something. They go upstairs. They're doing the drugs. They're doing, like, 
you know, they're doing all their stuff. And she says, you know, I turned, he turned around and just punched me in the face. She, she just blacks out. And he, you know, she's, she's raped and assaulted for, for the entire night. And she goes, it just went on for hours and hours. And in the morning, she, like, she asked to use the bathroom. He says, yes. This is like the crux of the story, you guys. This is why her testimony is so important beyond her survival story. Like, this is how she's able to tie him to the, to the other bodies. Right. And what she says is, we're back to the trial. She's sobbing. I just want to hug her. I want to hold her hand through this. Like, you guys, we're seeing her on the stand and she is hysterical. Hysterical. He's, we see her. We see him. He's 20 feet from her, just like staring her down. It's fucking terrible. I have to, I had to like catch my breath, like just thinking about what it must, must have been like for her. So, yeah. she, and this story's going back again between present day and the trial. But what she yeah. says is As you walk to the bathroom, did you notice anything about the room on the left? <laughs> the plastic was pulled up. I saw something on the floor. <laughs> it looked like it looked like it was a body and it had no hand on it. It looked like it was a body, but it had no head on it. And you guys, I'm saying that she can't get the words out. And of course she can't. And yeah. so the camera turns to Anthony Sow. I don't know how we have this camera in the courtroom, but he's yeah. watching her tell this, tells a story. And suddenly he's me. He feels nothing. I had to go to the bathroom without, um, without acknowledging anything, without changing my expression, without freaking out, without crying, without letting him know that I see, I see that, you know. Because if you remember, she kn- she knows she's about to be killed because she's suffered this horrible attack all night long. She's now seen this dead body. And at the same time, I can't show any emotion or let on that I've seen this or that I'm freaked out because then he really will kill me. So she's like, I, I get out of the bathroom. And Vanessa, I have to say, plays Anthony like a goddamn fiddle here. He kept saying, um, you're going to tell. If I let you go, you're going to tell. I said, tell what? You know, it might have been a little rougher than, you know, I'm used to, but we're going to tell, you know? I have chills thinking I know. about what that must have been like for her. Yeah. So they, and then this killed me. So they walked down those stairs arm in arm. When he got his keys, I walked arm in arm, standing right by his side, because I felt if he got behind me, I'm not going to make it. And think about the trauma that she had yeah, to grab yeah. this abuser and murderer close to her so yeah. that she can be in control of the situation. So she goes, she walked out, you know, he walked me down the stairs. He stayed in the hallway. She walked and she goes, you know, I was walking down the street, bloody and beaten and bruised. It was a Sunday morning. And all these church people, they turned the other way. I heard a couple of people laugh, you know, and nobody helped me. <laughs> Nobody help me. 
And nobody tried to help her. And she says, that's why I never filed the police report. She goes, I was on crack. People already thought I was crazy. They won't believe an addict anyway. And like yeah. to think these church going people, I know it's not all church going people. I know that. But this is, the, we're, we're telling Vanessa's story, right? Yeah. So it sucks. Yeah. And she doesn't file a report. And I don't know how the police find her, but like she's the one witness on the stand again, who can like tie him to the bodies. And we see it. Like the jury comes back in. They find him guilty on 84 of the 85 counts to which I said what was the one they couldn't get him on like what's the one thing that he didn't do you know what I mean yeah I mean he's gonna get whatever sent like that's fine but I know that that killed me too I was like I don't I want I'm a complete I want that I want I'm the completionist I want that yeah we therefore unanimously find that the sentence of death should be imposed upon the defendant Anthony soul all 12 jurors have signed their name to this verdict form and have not signed the contrary form are these your verdicts, uh, juror number one? He gets the death penalty, and he's, I googed him, he's still alive, he's not dead. I mean, he's in jail, and whatever, he's doing the appeal thing. But basically, you know, like, that's kind of the end of the story, and then we see that this demon death devil house is demolished in oh, 2011. I love that. Wasn't that so cathartic, even for us to watch, even though we didn't live it? Yeah, yeah, it was amazing. And, like, this is where Vanessa says, what is wrong with the world? It's just echoing everything Jillian's been saying this whole episode. I don't think people take serious addicts you know he wasn't very careful yet 11 women died they didn't want to see they didn't want to see you know 11 women died. Can we say the names of the women? Yeah, and this is how it ends. We we end with like the images of all the women. So let's do it. You let's go one after the other. Okay. Amelda Hunter. Diane Turner. Crystal Dozier. LaShonda Long. Michelle Mason. Nancy Cobbs. Janice Webb. Tashana Culver. Talasha Fortson. Tanya Carmichael. Kim Smith. Oh, girl, we did Unseen. We did. We did. I, I love that documentary. I, I I consider it required viewing. I totally agree. You guys, as we mentioned uh, in the show notes of this episode, we've included links to a bunch of charities that we've given to, other charities that you should know about. We want your suggestions for more documentaries covering the black experience in a true crime context. So send them our way. Yep, absolutely. And we love you, you guys. We love you. And, you know, we're here for you. Once again, Black Lives Matter for the people in the back. We're saying it. We're screaming it. We love you. And we'll see you next week. Yep, thanks. Bye.